And then we decided to go into the strip. And so we went in front of the, uh, the Wynn Hotel that had a little bump of sidewalks that walked around. People had to go around us, and we got to talk to thousands of people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was fantastic. Then the security came down and said, you guys can't be here because people have to walk around you. And I said, okay. So I drove up and down the strip a couple times, and I said, where's a big, wide sidewalk? Well, in front of the Mirage, right in front of the Volcano. <laughs> was a good spot. So we started going right in front of the volcano every single week. Every every week we went there. Even though it was about 117 degrees outside, we went out there. And That's we great. started handing out, over the two years, Tom's, we handed out 8,000 rosaries, about 5,000 miraculous medals, about 2,000 CDs, uh, hundreds of Scott Hunt's conversion. A friend of mine works for Lighthouse Catholic Publish, uh, Media. She gave me about 200 of Scott Hunt's books of your Rome Street home, and we handed those out to people. Uh, we had a story where there was a girl who came up to us and she said, I think God put you guys here today because I was on my way to commit suicide. And I saw you, and so my friend Paul talked to her for an hour and a half. Welcome to Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And today we have Ed Gravlin, a longtime team leader and evangelist, and he's going to share with us his story as well as tips to be a successful team leader with St. Paul Street Evangelization. That's awesome, Brian. I'm so glad to have Ed here. Uh, he's He's been a team leader for so long. I think he's actually uh, the number three team from the very start, but I'm, I'm not positive. He might have to confirm that one. But he's done so much with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Of course, he's a team leader and he recruits evangelists. He's a great apologist. He's taught Bible studies. He's taught the BET. He works with pastors and he's even met with his bishop. He's done so many things. I'm great. I'm just grateful that he's going to be able to come on with us. Wow. I, just hearing that, I'm excited to talk to him too. And it's one, of those, it's one of those things that's extremely humbling for me because I've been involved with St. Paul Street Evangelization. I've worked for, for them for a full time for one year now coming up. I think we're both coming up on our one yes, year anniversary. Yes, one year. <laughs> so, um, that's exciting. And then even before that, just for a year, I've led a team doing night fever at my parish. And it was just once a month. I mean, we need to do a podcast on night fever because it is love night an incredible fever. opportunity to do street evangelization that a lot of people are doing across the country. It's not something we made up, but it's something that we definitely have a lot of resources to provide for those who want to get something started in their area. So we'll have to do that. But that was my, that's what I did with St. Paul Street Evangelization before I came on. And then I, I come on just a year ago and I meet guys like Ed and other people that we've been podcasting with and other great leaders who have been around for a long time and have a lot of wisdom, so much to share. And uh, there's points where I really uh, humbly need to sit at their feet and be like, just share with me, you know, how is it? <laughs> show me, show me how it's show done. Me, yeah. Me yeah. It's done. And Ed's one of those guys. I mean, Ed uh, is a guy that has just so much wisdom, so much passion, so much love for the Lord. I am just very excited to talk with him today. Let's go ahead and just bring Ed on with us. Ed, thank you for being on with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Ed, um, I know we just <laughs> gave you a very long introduction, but we also just wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and maybe just share a with our listeners a little bit about your background and eventually what led you into service with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Sure, Brian. Uh, when I was, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. My father studied to be a Jesuit priest for 12 years, and then he left, and thankfully he did, because I was here, <laughs> he didn't. Uh, my mother was an opera singer, uh, and uh, we had, I have five siblings, and they all live in Los Angeles. Uh, I uh, ended up uh, kind of getting lost in the middle. I was the fourth child did whatever I wanted to, and kind of got in with a bad crowd. I, I ended up getting a basketball scholarship to Northern Arizona University. Uh, I played basketball. My high school team won two championships, and uh, a bunch of us went off to college to play, and I got a scholarship to play at NAU. And I ended up going back home to Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles, I would uh, work at a place called Marie Callender's. It's a restaurant chain that has really good pies. <laughs> and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of other, 
<laughs> you guys probably are familiar with it. But, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Love those. <laughs> anyway, I was a cook, and I was living a life of really sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I was a bad kid. I hadn't gone to church in two years. I, I was just a, a, a bad kid, even though I went to a Dominican high school. <laughs> I was, but I ended up uh, working there, and uh, one night uh, in 1975, it was a long time ago, um, uh, my boss asked me, he said, uh, Ed, can you close up the store for us? And I said, well, what do I have to do? I don't know what to do. And he said, well, it's slow. Coming back, I'll show you. He showed me how to count the money. He showed me how to do the time cards. And then he, uh, he, uh, he said, okay, you know what to do now? I said, uh, why, why, how come you can't be here? And he said, because it's my wife and my wedding anniversary. I'm leaving early. It was a Sunday night, August the 3rd, 1975. And so I ended up uh, uh, cleaning up my kitchen, letting all the busboys out, letting all the waitresses out, locking the room behind them. And uh, I went inside the little cubby hole of an office. Uh, restaurants have little tiny offices inside of the big kitchens. And so I did all the money first. He told me that when I put the money away, I would put it into a safe that he would leave open because I didn't need to know the combination. So he did. He left that open, and I put the money in it. I closed it. He told me to spin it four times when I finished because it was four digits long. So I, I did all that, put all the money away, and then I did about five or ten of the time cards. And then the door behind me opened up. There were three guys with ski masks on and a sawed-off shotgun, gloves, a handgun, and a crowbar. Oh, my and they goodness. Said, and they said, open the safe. And I said, I don't know the combination. I'm just a cook. Uh, and so they hit me on the head with the crowbar. And when I felt the blood on my back of my head, I put my hand up and I felt blood on my hand. I said, look, I really don't know the combination. Then they hit me so hard with that crowbar, blood splattered on the wall next to me. Mm. And I went, I don't want to get hit by it like that again. I'm going to try to open it. So I flipped the lid open on the desk and I started to try to open the safe. And each time I failed in opening it because I couldn't open it because I didn't know the combination, uh, they would hit me again. And this went on for about 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, my gosh. They kept beating me and beating me and beating me. They came in. One of them went back and got a big five-gallon bucket of pie-filling strawberry glaze and dumped it on me. They thought it was funny. And I finally said, look, there's a hand truck out back. Why don't you, two of you guys, go get the hand truck, see if you can wheel this the safe home and you can blowtorch it open and so they sat me outside of the little office on a little metal folding chair with one guy holding a gun into my neck he was standing behind me and I said to God okay God long time no talk <laughs> I said I, said, uh, I, I said if you get me out of this I'll become an altar boy again <laughs> I said, I said so I bargained with God. I started seeing my family, my mom, my dad, my siblings, my girlfriends, everything. I saw that all in front of me. And then finally I said, these guys said they were going to kill me about 40 times already. So I believe them. And uh, because they said they killed four white guys last week. And so I went, jeez. I said, okay, God. I started to say the act of contrition. And when I said the act of contrition with the most sincere heart, I've said it in my entire life. All of a sudden, I felt the pressure and the stress gone. It was gone. Oh, my goodness. I said, I said you guys can kill me now. That's, I said that to myself. And just then, they couldn't move the safe because the safe was too heavy to get on the hand truck. So one of them came up, put the shotgun in my forehead. He said, you have one last chance. And then we're going to kill you, you blank, 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 blank. And he called me all these names. I walked over to the safe, which was now outside of the little office, got on one knee, spun it, left, right, left, right, and it opened. Oh, and when it opened, when it opened, I said, 
thank you, Jesus. As soon as I said, thank you, Jesus, they grabbed the coins. I put a bag of coins in there, and they pulled it out, and the coin bag broke open, and nickels, dimes, and quarters flew everywhere. Then they got the money. There was about $5,000 in the safe because it was a Sunday night. Banks were closed on the weekends back then. And so I, uh, I saw them grab the money. Then they said, knock them out. Then they started wailing on me with that crowbar. They hit me like 10 times in like five seconds mm-hmm. with that crowbar. And they broke my finger. I put my hand up to block it once, and they broke my finger, smashed it, had a little shape of a crowbar on it. And I went down, and they hit me about 20 more times when I was down. And I closed my eyes, and the doctors told me I never got knocked out because of adrenaline. But I was closing my eyes, and all of a sudden I waited about five, ten minutes. I don't even know how long I left. The guys, they left. They left their gloves, their ski masks, and the crowbar. And they took their guns, and they took the money. Well, I ended up finding a dime. And I went, because they ripped all the phones out. They crowbarred their phones, and they broke all the phones. So I went outside to the payphone and called 911, which had just started a few years earlier, and, wow. and called the ambulance to the place. I spent four days in the hospital. I had 60 stitches in the back of my head. They had an operation on my finger. I, I was just a mess. And I decided that God is real. And when I found that out, I said, I better learn about this guy. <laughs> this guy wow, saved my life. That's amazing. At that how old were you again? This is your early 20s? I was 20. I was 20. 20. Exactly 20. Yeah, I was 20 wow. years old. And so I ended up going back to Northern Arizona University where I, uh, they, I told uh, uh, a friend of mine, his name was Paul Schweitzer. He was a writer for the Arizona Daily Sun newspaper. And he wrote a big story about this happening. And I went down to Phoenix where I got to, went to St. Joseph's Hospital, had an e, uh, um, EKG, electroencephalogram, which is for your brain. And I ended up going back up there and they said, you're fine. You know, it's amazing you didn't get a, uh, you know, brain damage on this. And so I didn't. And I ended up playing basketball for Northern Arizona University. Later on, I found my wife. Then I decided to... Uh, I started going to the Newman Center. I went to a Bible study. Uh, a friend of mine, he's, he noticed that I had changed on my basketball team. He said, Eddie, you've changed. He said, do you want to go to Bible study now? Because we used to smoke pot in the, some of the rooms and put down study of Ezekiel on the outside of the door to fool people. That's We were bad kids. Because so, this was yeah. into my software. Year. And so I ended up going to the Bible study, and there was a guy from the Navigators mm. who was teaching the Bible study. That was a Protestant group. And I ended up going into that Bible study. After about three months, we started, we were going through the Gospel of Matthew, and he, we got to the Last Supper. And he said, Ed, you're a Catholic. Do you really believe that that's Jesus' body and blood that you have? Because if you did, you'd be a cannibal. So I said, I don't know, because you know, I just started reading the Bible. I didn't know anything about it. No, I had it in high school, but you don't pay attention in high school. <laughs> so I ended up uh, calling my dad that night. And I, I said, Dad, the guy at the Navigators uh, that were in the Bible study this morning said uh, that we are cannibals if we have Jesus' body and blood. And my dad said, does your buddy believe in the Trinity? And I said, yeah, he believes in the Trinity. He said, does he believe the Trinity is human or divine? And I said, oh, that's I a said, great divine. <laughs> and I said, divine. I said, he said, now read John's Gospel, chapter six. And I said, well, why, Dad? And he said, just read it. And I said, well, Dad, can you tell me what is that? He's just read it. And I said, okay, okay. <laughs> so I started reading John's The Bread Wife Discourse, of course, and I read it about six times, and all these things jumped out at me. I said, well, first of all, uh, he didn't say, you know, hey, it's symbolic, guys. No, he didn't say that. He doubled down on it. He said, unless you eat the flesh of the man, son of man and drink his blood, you don't have life within you. And he said it again and again and again. And then it said, uh, it says, uh, the flesh, there's no avail. Uh, you know, this is spirit unto you, just like my dad said. It's, it's divine. And then, and then what killed me was John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 66 that says, 
And then they went back to their former way of life and walked with him no more yeah. because they couldn't believe. And so I go back to the Bible study, and this guy, this teacher, says to me, he says, so, Ed, uh, are you a cannibal or not? <laughs> I said, no, we're not a cannibal. I talked to my dad who studied for 12 years with the Jesuits, and he said uh, that Jesus First of all, we have his divine flesh because he is divine. He is God. And so we have his divine flesh. And since you don't believe that it's really Jesus' flesh and blood, you have to you belong to the John six 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 club. Whoa. <laughs> he, goes, he, he looked it up and he goes, uh, and I don't think we need you in this class anymore. Whoa. He kicked me out. He kicked you he out. Kicked That's amazing. Me. He kicked me out of the class. And so I said, I better start studying this stuff. So I started reading. And I, I read uh, Frank Sheep's book, uh, uh, you know, um, about sanity, theology and sanity. And I read uh, uh, a whole bunch of Frank Sheep's books to begin with. And then I started reading all kinds of books. And I tried to keep a count of how many books I've read since then. About 1,700. You know, Ed, this this kind of reminds me a little bit about Steve Dawson's story, and I think many others, is when you reach that point, it's like God is real. There is such a desire in your heart. Like, I can't know enough about this. I need to understand it. I want you just... Right. It's insatiable. um, Just You just desire to know who God is and it's, it's uh, a hunger yes yes it's just it's 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 such a hunger and I mean that's part of my story too I think that's part of so many and and it's and it's visible it's visible to your teammates it's visible you know to to others and they saw that you had this that this is different this is different you know it, it was it was different. And then I went on Curcio, and when I went on the Curcio, I had another like log put on my spiritual life. And when that happened, I, 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 everything I saw, I was like I was on a honeymoon with the Lord. Anything mm-hmm. I saw, I saw God in it. Whether it was a billboard, whether it was people, whether whatever it was, I saw God everywhere. And I started listening to actually Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel on the radio every day. There was no Catholic radio back then. Yeah. So he was going through the Bible, and uh, uh, I started doing it. I started handing out Bibles and food when I was driving a truck in the San Francisco Bay Area. My wife and I, we moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. I worked with a small little company called Automatic Dust Prevention and delivered dust mats, dust mops, and shop towels to businesses around the seven Bay Area counties. And so I was listening to this radio all day long, and I was handing out things. I was spreading the gospel with people just on the streets in the Mission District in San Francisco and doing all kinds of things. That's amazing. That I so yeah. I had this fire inside of me, and my wife, she didn't go to the Curcio right away. She took her two years ago because she said, you changed too much. You just want to read the Bible all day long. You just want to do this all day long. You just want to pray all day long. And I said, well, honey, you got to go. You got to go. And so finally she went, she said, okay, I get it now. <laughs> so my wife uh, followed in my footsteps, and she's been reading as well, too, now. So we've been married. Great. We just celebrated our 40, 40th anniversary. Uh, Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. So then, uh, then all of a sudden, uh, I I got transferred. I I got a job uh, in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada with a company called Milliken, big giant textile company. I was a regional manager for the hospitality carpet division for 20 years. And while I was there in Las Vegas, I went to a Catholic bookstore, this guy named Joe uh, I owned it, and Joe and I started classes. We started apologetics classes. And uh, once a month, we would go uh, at St. Elizabeth and Seton, which was in the north, uh, west part of the city, which was my parish that had 10,000 families wow. uh, registered in it. And then we went to St. Peter's in the southeast part of the city. So we'd go back and forth across the city and uh, do apologetics classes. We would uh, send out questions to all the people at the tables, and say, how would you answer these questions? And uh, and then we would have discussions about it. It was just fantastic. We had a priest who guided us as well, too. 
And uh, so I did that. And then Joe uh, went to, decided to go to school. He went to Steubenville to get his uh, uh, degrees in uh, theology and philosophy. And I didn't become a priest. He was married. And, uh, and now he's a DRE up in Washington State. Wow. And so I, I started doing the classes myself. And I did it in the middle of the city. Instead of going back and forth, I went in the middle of the city. There's a parish in Las Vegas called Our Lady of Las Vegas. <laughs> so, Our Lady so, of Las Vegas? Yeah. Was there, was there a married apparition in Las Vegas? <laughs> yeah, we had, it was an actual parish. And it was in a very wealthy section of Las Vegas. And uh, it was a wonderful parish. I started having apologetics classes there. And I had people that brought Protestants to the class. Uh, I got a phone call from a lady one time that said, hey, um, my friend in my office said that you can answer a question for me uh, about the Catholic Church. And I said, well, what's your name? She said, well, my name's Talia, but uh, can you answer the question for me about the Catholic Church? And I said, sure, go ahead. And she said, why do you say that Mary was without sin when all have sinned, it says in the Bible, all have sinned. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? And she said, what does that have to do? I said, it'll come to it, believe me. I said, it'll come. She said, do you know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? And I said, uh, she said, yes, I do, because I was raised Baptist, and so I know that. And I said, okay, what was in it? She said, well, it was the Ten Commandments, the manna, and this shepherd's staff. Uh, from Aaron. And I said, okay. So I said, now, the bread from heaven, I mean, the the manna was also called the bread from heaven, right? And she said, right. And I said, the the Ten Commandments was also called the Word of God, right? She said, right. And I said, and the shepherd's staff was symbolic of the high priesthood, because Aaron was a high priest. And she said, right. And I said, what else was in that Ark of the Covenant called the bread from heaven, the word of God, or the word made flesh, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the high priest. And she said, well, Jesus. And I said, yes, Jesus was in that Ark of the Covenant because you can't separate the Trinity. And I said, so you have Jesus in the Ark of the Covenant, and all of a sudden, let's go to Uzzah in chapter 7 of Samuel, for Samuel, is carrying that Ark of the Covenant, and he put his hand on it to study it. What happened to Uzzah? And she said, he died. And I said, but why did he die? And she said, let me think. And I said, well, probably he had sin on his soul. And I said, bingo, he had sin on his soul. Nothing unclean could touch that Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden, now let's go fast forward 800 years into this little 15-year-old girl named Mary who has that same word of God, that same bread from heaven, that same high priest inside of her. How could she possibly have had sin on her soul? She would have died if she was carrying Jesus inside of her. And she went, you know, I never thought of that. <laughs> That's beautiful. Wow. It's a great way and, to do apologetics is to kind of to lay all that out for somebody and let them kind of understand. And exactly. that's, a, that, that's a great lesson. You can tell you've been doing this for a while because it would have been real easy to just say, Hey, what about Mary? She had this, 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 but allowing, <laughs> asking the questions and, and leading her through the scriptures was a beautiful way. Um, you can tell you've been doing this for a while. Well, what happened was this girl the next day called me and she said, can you tell me about purgatory? Because that's not in the Bible. And I said, why don't you come to my class? It's in Our Lady of Las Vegas at this time, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. I said, why don't you come there? So she came, showed up, and first thing I noticed about her, she said, hi, my name's Talia. First of all, she's African-American. She's also an attorney, Harvard-educated. Wow. She also has a master's degree from Brown University, another, another Ivy League school. She also went to Yale for undergraduate. This is a so, smart lady. She's a smart lady, and yeah. uh, she also speaks five languages fluently. Oh and you weren't intimidated so, by this? <laughs> no, I wasn't at all, because she was curious about the Catholic faith. So she started coming, and she took copious notes. She was just in there... Another lady brought her brother, who was a Baptist, and he was 
he said something about, uh, you know, they all, is, all, is, all have sinned. And I said, look, I have a son who's autistic. I said, I promise you, he's never sinned. What about babies? They've never sinned. I said, anyway, that guy, uh, his name is uh, Teodoro. He is now a Byzantine Catholic priest. And so, but Talia ended up uh, taking notes, and one day she came up to me and she said, I got a job in Washington, D.C., and so I want you to move my sponsor into the Catholic Church. <gasps> so so, so uh, I laid my hand on her, you know, with the confirmation and everything, and she became a Catholic. She moved to Washington, D.C., and two years later, Pope Benedict came to Washington, D.C., and she called me and she said, I got you a ticket to the Papal Mass. <laughs> so I said, "Oh, great!" So the papal mass. So I flew to Washington D.C. I went to the RFK Stadium with the papal mass, and somebody came up to Talia and said, "Hey, Talia, uh, Pope Benedict is leaving from the papal nuncio's house at five o'clock in the morning. Do you want to come and see him off?" And we said, "Of course." So we didn't go to bed. We ended up going. And we go to the Cable Nuncio's house on these three buses. There are three buses of people. All the little kids are on it and everything. We're all praying the rosary, singing Hail Holy Queen. You know, just had a blast. And we get out, and I follow this little kid. I said, where, where is Pope Benedict going to be? So I follow this little boy. He was like six years old. He runs up to the front of the gate. I stand right behind him, and Pope Benedict finally comes out, puts his hands on the kid. I put my hand out to shake him, and he stops and turns around and shook my hand. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's so I, beautiful. I, I, shook, I shook Pope Benedict's hand. So I ended up flying back. Uh, I ended up uh, in 2012. I was on Facebook and I saw this post by a guy named Steve Dawson. <laughs> I, I was just about to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this post on, on the thing and it showed this little sign that said Catholic Truth on it. And it said, I went under the streets, I did this. And uh, so I called him. He had his phone number on there. And I called Steve and I said, How did, what'd you do? And he told me the story about the miraculous medal with the waitress and everything. And I said, Wow, that's fantastic. And I said, I could do this too because I have thousands of people that walk the strip in Las Vegas here. So, so I uh, got a sign. I called a bunch of my friends. We got about five of my friends together, and we went to a park in Las Vegas to start with, just to practice. It was, it was January of 20, uh, 2013. It was like the first week of January. It was freezing cold. We all had jackets on, but we had a family that came that had five people in it, and we all took one person. It was just fantastic. And then we decided to go into the strip. And so we went to in front of the uh, uh, the Wynn Hotel that had a little bump of sidewalk that walked around. People had to go around us to get, and we got to talk to thousands of people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was fantastic. Then the security came down and said, you guys can't be here because people have to walk around you. And I said, okay. So I drove up and down the strip a couple times, and I said, where's a big, wide sidewalk? Well, in front of the Mirage, right in front of the Volcano. <laughs> was a good spot. So we started going right in front of the volcano every single week. For every every week we went there. Even though it was about 117 degrees outside, we went out there. And That's we great. started handing out over the two years times we handed out eight thousand rosaries, about five thousand miraculous medals, about two thousand CDs, uh, hundreds of Scott Hunt's conversion. A friend of mine works for Lighthouse Catholic Public Media. She gave me about two hundred of Scott Hunt's books of uh, your Rome Street home, and we handed those out to people. Uh, we had a story where there was a girl who came up to us and she said. I think God put you guys here today because I was on my way to commit suicide and I saw you. And so my friend Paul talked to her for an hour and a half, got her to put Jesus in her heart. Uh, We, we also had a bag of food that had three days of food and we put money in it. We put rosaries in it. We put brochures in it and we gave it to the first homeless person that came up to us. And so homeless people said, hey, we got something for you, buddy. And it was in a backpack. And we gave it to him in the ice. He said, check the whole thing out. He said, okay, I will, man. And sometimes those guys came back and said, hey, where's the, where's the backpack? And I said, we gave it to somebody else. <laughs> they were wise to us. But, so uh, you guys, just let me get, get this straight. So you and your team 
early on, before there was much going on with St. Paul Street Evangelization, way early in, in 2013, you were already in front of the Mirage on a regular basis, like every week. Right. Um, and, and different people would come by. And some people would come by multiple times. It sounds like they came back for, for another visit, which is... which is The homeless people would, but most people were tourists. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Most people just be kind of walking through. That sounds like a, a perfect spot to be there and it to is. talk with people and to, and to keep people coming back, your, your, your team members and such. Was it easy to, to you know, recruit your team members and keep them there? Or you know, what, well, what kept them well, coming back? There was, I had different ones all, all through the times. Uh, at the beginning, um, Sally was my, she spoke Spanish and English, and she was phenomenal. She was absolutely phenomenal. I had uh, Hunter Kilmer come out. Uh, she's uh, the, the hope for Christ. She came out and, uh, and evangelized me, and all these kids started coming around her, these teenagers. I was just amazed watching her work. Uh, she's got a blog site called Pierced Hands. Uh, and she went to Notre Dame, she was just a wonderful, holy, consecrated woman. She came out and evangelized with us. I had one time a whole bunch of people from the Filipino group, uh, Couples for Christ, came out. I had like 20 people out there. We spread out all over the strip and had a few little rosaries. Wow. And I, I had five uh, rosary-making groups make me rosaries. That's so right. You needed that. Yeah, like. I needed it. Well, I handed out 300 to 400 groceries every single weekend. Wow. And so, so we had all that. And then uh, my father-in-law got sick here in Sierra Vista, Arizona, where I live now. And I had to move. And so I gave it in the hands of a guy named Paul, but he didn't do anything with it. There's a new guy, uh, uh, Bobby, who's doing it uh, on the strip now. So it's, it's still going to Las Vegas. I, I haven't heard much stories. He does it about once a month because he's a professional singer in uh, Las Vegas. Wow. But I do it here in Sierra Vista. You know, I can't help it. <laughs> I have, to, yeah. share. I have that, to share the gospel with everybody. I do it at work. I do it at McDonald's lines. I do it at the Safeway. That's, that's great. And how, how different is Sierra Vista than the strip, from the strip from Vegas? It's like night and day because there's no walking <laughs> traffic here. We have to have a fence. And when we have a fence, I do to go down to Bisbee. Uh, Bisbee is a town that's kind of built on hills. It was an old mining town. And my friend uh, uh, Robert and I, we meet in Bisbee and we do it there and uh, in a park right in front of the museum. And there's a lot of walking traffic there. So we, we hand out 30, 40, 50 rosaries when we do it there which is really good. I do that almost every weekend now. We put it up busy. We have events in Sierra Vista, and we do it at those events as well, too. We have Oktoberfest. We have uh, uh, Tombstone. Hell Dorado Days are coming up. I'm going to be out there. <laughs> so there's lots of things to do. And I've also, um, my pastor is uh, likes it so much, he put me on the parish council. Wow. How did you get that? How did you get your pastor involved? Because some of the team leaders have trouble getting through to, to the pastor because there's so many things that the pastor can do. And this becomes just one of many. So you kind of have to break right. in and, and show him. So how did you do that? How did you get that? Well, well, I first, when I first uh, came down here to Sierra Vista, you know, my father-in-law was sick. He's 92 years old. We had to care for him. But I went to the parish and I said, uh, can I have a meeting with you, uh, Father Greg? And so he, he sat me down, and I told him all about St. Paul Street Evangelization. I showed him a full-page article about us in the Las Vegas Review Journal. I gave that to him. They did a big uh, story about us in the newspaper. Uh, I had all kinds of stuff to give him. I gave him little bishops, you know. We just got about four or five bishops at the time. I was the third team, by the way, second or third team that started with Steve. Wow. And, uh, and so I, I ended up... Uh, just waiting, and three months went by, nothing. So I sent him a letter, and I said, hey, what do you think about St. Paul Street? And then he called me, and he said, Ed, I'm 100% behind you. He said, 100%. I want you to be on our parish council as well, too, and teach these people how to evangelize. <laughs> so, right. so, I, so I did that, and then uh, our bishop, we got a new bishop. I sent a letter and a book to our old bishop, he never responded. 
And then so the new bishop, he came down to Sierra Vista, and I said, can I meet with you, uh, Bishop Eisenberger, uh, about my ministry, St. Paul's Street Evangelist? And he said, you know, I'm getting 20 calls a day for meetings. Can you meet me in the fall? This was in January. So, so I said, yeah. So I set it up in about uh, March for September the 10th. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's okay though, you know, because I think it's yeah. great that, he's, that he still was open to meeting, even though he had to push your way out because of all of the right. other. And you didn't give up. You didn't give up. He's no, like, I sure, didn't. I'll take September. <laughs> you know? So I met with him last Monday, uh, September the 10th. And I walked in the office and I said, so tell me about St. Paul's Street Registration. And I said, well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself first. I told him about my miracle story. I told him about all the things that happened to my father, all the things, you know, and, and then about how it all started. I told him Steve Dawson's story about the miraculous bell. And then uh, I said, and so now it's grown to 350 teams. I said, the state of Arizona has eight teams in it. I said, there's only one team in the Diocese of Tucson. I would like to have as many as they have in Phoenix. Because <laughs> they've got seven teams in Phoenix. And he said, well, I don't have any time to take on any more things. I said, your Excellency, I said, I don't want your time. I don't want your money. I don't want anything. I just only want your blessing. That's all we want. And here's a, uh, if you can write us a letter of, you know, that we're doing good work, because we've already got people in Sierra Vista who went to RCIA because of us. I said, so, so can you just maybe write a letter for us or something? And he said, well, I can't do it right now, but let me, let me look at that and everything. But you can talk to every pastor in the diocese with my blessing. And I said, thank you. Wow, that's a great thing. So just get just talking to the bishop and giving him I mean getting a, a meeting with the bishop is, is a big thing. That was bold. Just you just do it. You just ask for it. And right. then when you got in there, it's like, I don't need anything from you, just your blessing and your endorsement and permission to talk to the um to right. the pastors. The pastors. And, he, and he bought into it and gave it to you. That's that's yeah. huge. That's just huge. So, so that was just a wonderful thing. So I have my work cut out for me because there's 78 parishes in our diocese. <laughs> so I got to call all of them, which I will do. I have no problem doing that. Some of them are out in the boonies, you know, they're in the reservations and there's no walking traffic or anything out there. Um, but, you know, uh, what I do in our parish, because you guys probably know, and I know, that there's Catholics that go to Mass that don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. Right, so, they don't know. Yeah, Catholics got to be evangelized as well too. So, uh, I have we have donuts and coffee after every eight a.m. and ten a.m. mass at, at St. Andrews, and I'm on the rotation to do it. So I put all my brochures out. I put all the things, and in the back of our parish, we have all my brochures in a kiosk, so that people can take them. People that visit for funerals and weddings and stuff like that, they can take them as well too. And if they don't take them, I hand them to them. that's an interesting thing because people wouldn't expect that just putting yourself um out there after mass at a parish that 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 wouldn't be needed i don't know uh brian have you ever seen that done at any of your parishes that you've been at i don't normally think of saint paul street evangelization i think i normally think of lighthouse media you know how they have those kiosks for but i think it's so cool to have ed there that i mean you're a living presence right like those kiosks have all those great talks you know, that allow Catholics to learn more about their faith. And I, I, I know that I've benefited a lot, but I also think uh, how powerful it would be to have a living evangelist, you know, that's a, that is, I say living evangelist, but someone like yourself, Ed, who's yeah, very passionate, here. have a person who's very passionate yeah, about faith and that's able to not only just give them the information that, but also be able to, especially at your own parish, like offer them an opportunity for authentic friendship, offer, offer them an opportunity uh, to actually live and share their faith in your community. And to answer questions. Well, answer questions, like pray for them. Well, not only that, but, uh, you know, we've been, been doing praying on, for people as well, too. And we had a healing from a, uh, her knee had torn cartilage, and it got healed when we laid hands on it and everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I had a, a deacon, uh, a retired deacon, uh, who had a knee problem as well, too, and his knee got healed. So we've had some healings, which are really wonderful, because it shows the presence of God in somebody's life, which is Absolutely yes. wonderful. Yes, power evangelization. 
Father Greg, uh, my pastor, is a gifted speaker. You can go to our website at standandrewsd.org and listen to some of his talks. They are just magnificent. We're blessed to have him. He also, at the parish council, I got a parish council meeting tonight at 5.30, but uh, he asked uh, uh, one, one senior lady in our, in our parish council, her name is Anne. She said, Anne and Ed, I want you guys to do a brochure for St. Andrews. So we decided to use the beauty, the happiness, how you know the happiest people on the planet are those who go to church every week, uh, <laughs> all about the sacraments, uh, how you can come out and questions. Why do you, uh, why'd you raise the church? All these things. Uh, we have questions at standandrewsfc.org at the bottom. And so we're going to print that out and we're going to hand it out at Christmas. We're going to mail it to everybody at Christmas, all the people. Because, you know, only 25% of people go to Mass on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we got 75% of them that all are going to get this brochure. That's so, great. That's so true. Just the whole theme of evangelizing the Catholics that have fallen away or that come and don't quite understand it all. I think some people, we think evangelization, we should, we, we should be going out to the, just talking to people that are atheists or agnostic or, or some other faith, but we need to shore up, shore up our Catholics. Absolutely. Uh, That's, that's what we're here for. I mean, uh, there's how many popes said the church is evangelization. You know, I think Jesus said it is too, as well too. <laughs> so we have to do this. In fact, the catechism says it's necessary for salvation. Right, mm, right. Sure. There are a couple other teams that set up once a month in their parish. Um, at, you know, once a month they have, you know, like you did the coffee and donuts, and they're just there to answer questions, to encourage, and to pray with people. And I think that is that is great a great place for teams to set up. Um I don't know. It's, well, our, it's par- like our parish is fantastic. Uh, we have we have confession seven days a week, seven wow. days a week, twice twice a day. Wow! <laughs> no excuse not to go to confession there. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. true. Yeah, not the thirty minutes on Saturday. No, no, by appointment only. By appointment you know? only. Yeah, yeah, those are crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, we got a lot of work to do for our church, especially now. And I told uh, His Excellency uh, Bishop uh, Edward Weisenberger, I said, I think you need us more than ever now, Bishop. And he said, pray for us. Pray, pray, pray for us, please. Pray for me, please. And so I said, yeah, we've been praying for you, and we won't stop praying for you, Bishop. I said, but... Uh, our ministry, we can answer the questions about the scandal. We know how to do that. Hmm. And so, so uh, anyway, that's what's happened in, in my life. <laughs> uh, I think I might have like a third degree burn from how on fire you are. <laughs> but like, I'll just put some neosporin on, I'll be fine. So I think I'll, I'll heal up. Pretty quickly. No, I mean, it is, uh, I mean, what a gift just talking to you, obviously just on fire with this faith. And uh, I mean, with that fire, like I, I actually had the opportunity to talk to a lot of Catholics who are on fire, but I think one of the things that you have as well, Ed, is not just his passion, but I mean, it seems like you have a pretty, an incredible awareness about what to do and how to actually really mobilize Catholics in your area um, to find the right spots to get out there to evangelize and reaching out to the church. And I would just, I think it, uh, I want to give you the opportunity now uh, for all the new evangelists and even for our current team leaders who uh, just want to learn how to even be a better team leader, better evangelist of St. Paul Street Evangelization. What advice would you give them? Well, what I would say is, first of all, you got to pray. You have to have a prayer life. You got to pray the rosary every day, do the Angelus, you know, do the Divine Mercy Chaplet, do whatever you can do daily. And once you get daily and fast as well, too, and do some mortification for yourself, too. Take a cold shower, whatever. <laughs> so you yeah. do those things, and all of a sudden you get closer to God. Go to adoration a lot. When you go to adoration, because I do about three, four hours a week in adoration. And when you go to adoration, God tells you what to say. Not only that, but I. I've had instances when I was in Las Vegas and Sir Vista, I just say, come Holy Spirit, tell me what to say, and boom, something comes out of you that you don't even know where it came from. The Holy Spirit does speak through you, and, and that's what the fear thing is, well, too. If you are afraid to become a team leader, 
trust God. You got to trust God. And when you trust God, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and you all of a sudden can get people to join you and everything else. That's what happens. Holy Spirit, you don't sell the Holy Spirit short. He can do anything, anything. He can heal people. He can make the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead to come back to life. He can do anything. And when that happens, when you become a team leader, then all of a sudden you are doing God's work because God wants those people to be saved souls. There's so many lost souls out there, millions of them. And so we have to get out there on the streets and get out there wherever we are and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is what is against all to Amen. I love that. I don't, I, Pope Benedict has talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the principal evangelist. And I right. love, he has this quote, he says that you have to, you must be available, uh, you must be available as instruments to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy right. Spirit will give you the imagination and creative ideas about how to act, ideas that can't be planned. They are born from the situation itself because it is, because it's there that the Holy Spirit's at work. The Holy Spirit's right exactly. in, in, in just giving yeah, you the, it's, it's yeah, it's not me that does any of this stuff. It's the Holy Spirit who does it through me. I'm just the end of the tool. Isn't it amazing when that happens? I love that. It's like, where did those words come from? Why did I stop and talk <laughs> yeah. to you? Why did you stop I mean, and talk uh, to me? <laughs> I, I have like 20 things that I've said, and I said, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. And uh, so it, it's just amazing what, what the Holy so Spirit good. does. God is yeah. so good. It's one of the things when we lead trainings, we try to give people the basic tools because we realize, okay, we, there's things that we can learn and there's ways that, that, that to begin conversation um, and the way that we can allow ourselves to put ourselves in the position to better listen to the Holy Spirit and what he might be saying. But sometimes you don't always feel inspired when you're having conversations with people on the street, but uh, sometimes you do. And it's just a matter of being open and being listening and just putting yourself in position for exactly. the Holy Spirit to work in you and, and to use you. And the Holy Spirit brings people to you, too. Mm. Yes. I mean, down in Bisbee, I've had people come up to us and say, you know, I see you guys are Catholic. Uh, I haven't been to the Catholic Church in 15 years. Uh, I want to get back. And I go, thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> just, I mean, I, that's so we, true. Just we, the uh, presence out there. I know. It just happens. It just happens. We had uh, our, our uh, parish ministry fair in our parish picnic uh, in service here at St. Andrews. We had thousands of people that came. And Father Gray comes up to me and goes, Ed, this is Ian. Ian said he wants to become Catholic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, okay, Ian, come on over here. Let me give you some stuff. So I gave him one of each of the brochures. I gave him the CDs. I gave him one of your little, little cards that have the talks on it. Did you go to the website? I've been handing that out all over the place. I got I a bunch more, too. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, I got them all over the place. I'm always reminded, you know, when, when something like that happens, and there's always a reason not to evangelize. There's always something else you could be doing, something else that, you know, there, there's temptations to not evangelize constantly. And then you always wonder, exactly. what if I didn't come? Mm-hmm. What if I would have yeah. fall, you know, allowed that temptation to pull me away from this mission and I didn't show up? Then those, that person wouldn't have seen me, that person wouldn't have been able to talk to me or whatever. I mean, it's just amazing how God takes our yes and just oh, he, honors it. There's story after story about evangelization efforts. There was a priest that came to our parish, Father Silas. He's from Nepal. He was uh, in the cathedral in Kathmandu, and Hindu uh, radicals came in a machine gun, the whole congregation. He hid behind the altar, so he didn't get killed. But he said that he, he was a Hindu, and uh, somebody came up to him on the street in Nepal and said, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And he gave him a little card that showed him John 3.16, and he said, wow, I got to learn about this. Wow. <laughs> 
And that was just one thing. And now this guy is the number two guy. He's a, he's a bishop over there in uh, Nepal. And we donated $30,000 to build a St. Andrew's Chapel in Nepal. <laughs> and it's, all, it's almost completed now. I mean, our church gives out money all over the world. And uh, somebody dies and leaves us $100,000. That's what happens when you give out. Give out money. Yeah. Yeah, we just need, you just have to go, get through the, the temptation to not go. You just go in faith, knowing that yes. God is working in and through you. Exactly. That's all you got to do. I'm going to go out this weekend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I want to thank you just for, for just being on with us today and just for, for sharing with us you know, your own story and as well as uh, what incredible advice is for our team leaders and for anyone who wants to get involved really with any evangelization, not even just our apostolate. I mean, it just begins uh, with that relationship with the Lord and just responding from what the Lord is calling us to do. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Just thank you so much for your your encouragement in that. And thank you. We may have to bring you on just to have like, you know, story time with Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ed. You are an amazing team leader and inspire many of us. I hope that uh, hope those that are listening will just be encouraged by this and put yourself out there. The Lord will the Lord will do the work. That's exactly what happens. The Lord does the work, and uh, you just have to be there. You, you just have yes. to be. Yeah, say yes, and then amazing things will happen to you too. So that's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for giving yeah. me the opportunity to share with you and god bless your work as well too you guys are doing oh, thank you. god's work as well too so do you guys get to go out uh, on the streets at all anymore yeah uh, yeah absolutely. yeah so this weekend uh, i'm we're gonna be in the diocese of lansing they have a made for happiness assembly uh that oh, great that our team's gonna actually go go out and we talked about evangelizing catholics i, I think this should pull over tw- well over 20 or thirty thousand catholics in the diocese oh, to come who are there and the, we're one of like the five or seven ministries they want to spotlight for Catholics to, to know about to get involved in so we're going to have pamphlets with the gospel um, just sharing it with those who are there and also giving them opportunity I'll be there inviting people to get involved with St. Paul Street Evangelization as well it's great it's going to be a great, great. event because it, and this is what's happening more and more it, these bigger events are happening through the um, bishop's office or, or men's groups or whatever so this particular event is going to have a, a long pre- eucharistic procession miles miles oh from, wow from, from the cathedral to this big center and then at the center they're going to have a full day of all kinds of events and and i'm seeing that more and more these eucharistic processions and we love those as an evangelist i've worked a couple of them where i i'm on the path and so as the eucharist goes by we show our perfect our reverence we're on our knees and we're praying and then after it goes by the the other passerbys are like what was that <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a perfect opportunity to explain it. And they are taken by the reverence. It's like, there is something holy, and I didn't know about it. And right. it stirs their hearts. So um, those are those are great events to have. Those are great events. Well, don't, don't forget uh, the October 7th, uh, 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 Rosary's Coast to Coast is happening. Yes. And on, yes. October, 13th, on October 13th, American Eats Fatima Rosary is happening. I'm doing both of those out on the streets here. <laughs> I love doing that too. That is amazing. Yes, yes. I love those big events. Well, my goodness, thank you so much, Ed. I think you are a perfect example of St. Paul Street Evangelization because you train, equip, and mobilize ordinary Catholics in your area to do the extraordinary work of evangelization. And of course, that's always to save souls. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you for God bless you guys. Yeah.